minimalists. <laughs> as long as you are like aware of your surroundings and like you are right. you are a defensive scooter driver, like I feel like I feel pretty safe. But I'll say like that's the first time this morning was the first time I've ever taken a scooter in traffic like that. Because usually it's like at, so you stayed off the sidewalk. Wait, the sidewalk? Yeah, I just stayed off the sidewalk. Yeah, I stayed okay. off the sidewalk except for when I got like to the building. I just took the sidewalk here because it's usually pretty empty. But going down Hollywood on the sidewalk on the scooter is, I mean, that that's impossible. Yeah. I right. would definitely injure someone yeah. or myself. <laughs> but usually I like when Mariah and I use them, it's. Uh, over at the pier in Santa Monica. Yeah. So like on the bike trail, it makes sense. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's great, but this is the first time I actually did it in traffic, but it was fun. I was a little nervous, like, because, you know, there's, you know, when a car is passing you, you've got like three foot of like, please don't hit me. Yeah. Well, I saw this. The uh, So uh, it was a guy on a skateboard. Bex and I were walking down uh, Sunset. We were going to a movie. And this guy came from a side street, turned on the sunset, was not paying attention. Oh, no. I think he was really high. But, uh, <laughs> and a bus, like, it was, oh, I, no. oh my God. Within, within two feet of hitting him. Oh my God. Like, it, I've never seen a bus slam on its brakes before because it doesn't work that well. Right. They, yeah, but right. they did. Oh my God. And the guy, I mean, he was right there with oh, the bus. That's and so scary. Wow. We saw the whole thing. I almost saw a guy. We, it's this yeah. metaphor like, I could get hit by a bus today. This guy almost <laughs> got hit by a bus today. Yeah. It, it actually happened. All right. Before we dive into the surprise questions today, before we talk about some more sustainable stuff, uh, let's read some more about less. The article I have here today is from thegoodtrade.com. It's uh, the 10 best affordable brands for ethical fashion on a budget. So I've got some articles here, and this is the first yeah. one that really stood out because Ryan and I often get questions about clothes and yeah. fashion. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I have found what works well for me, and uh, Ryan, he shops at Home Depot. <laughs> As you can tell from my <laughs> my overalls. <laughs> I don't think what clothes you can buy at Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is. Dude, that is so... You know what I loved about this article is a lot of these companies, because I had no idea, like if someone asked me, hey, sure. what's a sustainable company? I really wouldn't have had a clue sure. what to say. I would have directed them to your website. <laughs> so we'll put, a link, we'll put a link to but, this article yeah. in the show notes yeah. for folks. But a lot of these companies that are, you have written in here, it's a lot of companies that we talk about already. So oh. I felt really good. Like it was this serendipitous, oh, like, oh, we were already like kind of talking yeah. about these very sustainable companies. So let's talk about if there are any of these that really stand out to you. Like I've heard of Everlane. I've, I think I've owned a t-shirt of theirs in, in the past. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's important, just because something is ethically made, doesn't mean that automatically it's been going to work for you, right? right. Um, it's it's finding the ethically made thing that does work for you. Yes. Uh, for me, the uh, the pants I wear from a, a company called Mission Workshop. I don't think they're in here. Um, I've, not, I've not heard of them. Yeah, they're from San Francisco, oh. and 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 they uh, manufacture a lot of uh, their clothes in in here in Los Angeles, and oh. it is ethically made. Um, they started out just making like backpacks and stuff, but yeah. it's it's almost like technical gear, which is awesome. weird because yeah. I don't I don't um, I don't do anything too technical. <laughs> I just enjoy the way they fit and, I, and I, yeah, and, and they last for a long time and yeah. it, it feels good to not to not support you know an H and M or, or or something yeah. like that. Mm. So can we talk about any of these these brands that sure. really stand out to you? Thread yeah. up maybe or or pack. 
uh, well, ThreadUp is awesome. Okay. I think the whole cycle around. So what ThreadUp does is they buy used clothing from from you, and then they have a really wonderful database where you can buy second hand and vintage. And ultimately, mm-hmm. that is the most sustainable thing yeah, to do. Exactly. Not um, only is it hip, but it's sustainable. Exactly. <laughs> well, and it is really exciting that it's really hit the ma- mainstream as like a culturally exciting thing to do. Yeah. Um, so ThreadUp's amazing. I think the reason we wrote this article was that so many of the ethical fashion brands, the price point is just inaccessible for most yeah, people. Yeah, I was talking to my wife about that this weekend yeah. when, I, when I told her you, you were coming on. We were talking about your website and uh, I, the thing she said, like, it's it's so difficult for me like to find two things. There, there were two problems. One is yeah. The the ones that she feels look good on her are, are wildly expensive. Yeah. Or you have some low-end ones that she was familiar with where she's like, it's just so boring. <laughs> totally. And I think you found a yeah. sort of uh, a detente between like, well, it, yes, you can spend a lot of money on ethically made things. But Absolutely. also, you can spend less. It's not cheap necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe long term, it is cheaper. Well, exactly. And I think you have to apply a minimalist mindset where you're like, I'm going to buy one sweater instead of five Mm. cheaply made sweaters. You know, I'm going to buy one well-crafted piece for something that I might have bought multiples of if I was looking at a fast fashion retailer. So um, it does last longer. But at the same time, a lot of people don't have in their budget, you know, multiple hundreds of dollars for one piece of clothing and so and that that's where a lot of the kind of boutique um ethical fashion retailers kind of come in at price wise Mm. so looking at the everlanes that have done really kind of a more mass appeal in terms of their they're on trend but also timeless they kind of find that really nice mix of of um something you could wear for a long time but it's but it's fashionable you can feel good in it you know it's not like your linen bag we have a we have a total joke uh among all of our my colleagues our team that it's like the the ethical sustainable way to dress is like a linen bag with clogs like that's pretty much (laughs) what you would wear and we're kind of trying to find the brands that are moving beyond that yeah yeah and and also i mean I think style is important to people. I, when I look at when I, actually I, I joke with Ryan, but like his outfit is more timeless and yeah, it's the thing absolutely. that he wears pretty much every day. Oh, keep going. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 But, but it's 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 not truly timeless. You go back to the 13th century, he'd look insane right. wearing that. Right. <laughs> but it is for our lifetime. It's it's yes. relatively timeless. But but also it's it's stylish in a way that isn't necessarily trendy. Exactly. He's not wearing crazy exactly. bright colors. You know, he's not head to toe in Supreme, um, <laughs> which would be hilarious if you came in here with like a Supreme hoodie. I'm gonna rent like a Supreme outfit. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like for April Fool's next yeah, year. Yeah, okay. be so <laughs> good. It'd be so good. Well, I would, th- I would say like, don't get too caught up on price. Like I know when people are trying to buy clothes, yes, they come across the thing where they're like, man, I could get like one pair of jeans for 110 bucks or I could get five pairs of jeans for 110 bucks. And like that mindset, that is what is going to, uh, it's going to create a lot of waste because yeah, ultimately exactly. like that $110 pair of jeans is probably going to last longer than one of those $25 pair of jeans. Yeah. It's, they're going to look nicer on you yeah. than a $25 pair of jeans. We got to be careful now though, because also there are fast, fast fashion retailers who realize they can charge a premium. Um, I don't know. I'm it's so true. like Kith places like yeah, this where, yeah, yeah. where they're uh, essentially the, the lower in quality. And I'm not saying that about, Kith, I have no idea, but like uh, there are places that are lower in quality, but because they're, 
so trendy they can charge more money. Yeah. Supreme will charge you. Yeah, price is not always an indicator of quality. No, abs- right. yeah, absolutely not. But yeah, it's it's something that uh, quality over quantity is always going to be more sustainable, and it's always going to create less waste. And I think you'll feel better about it too. You're going into having this uh, this closet that's full of a bunch of things that you don't really enjoy wearing, but you got them on discount. <clears throat> so what? Yeah. Like You're not going to yeah. feel good about that. That's no. that anxious cycle again, where you feel like you need something, so you're buying it, but it doesn't really fit your needs or make you feel better about yourself. Or yeah. And I, I look at I look at the photos like uh, of of just because this shirt looks great on this model here doesn't mean it will necessarily look good yeah. on me. I'm shaped differently from from other people, or yeah. you know I'm not as ripped as any mannequin I see at Macy's or something, yeah. right? And so we, <laughs> we 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 need to be cognizant of that. Like yeah, it, it, it's it looks great there, but. Yeah. That's, I'm not buying it so it looks great on a mannequin. Do I feel good in this, I yeah. think, is, is an important question to ask. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, one of the things with this list, too, that we really looked for was brands that had really diverse model imagery, sizes, ages, um, represented represented in their branding because it's hard to look at a brand and think like, am I going to look good in that when I'm like, you know, barely five foot three and most of the models are many, many, many inches taller than I am. (laughs) And so I think that's another thing that's part of this kind of uh, move towards quality is finding brands that are actually using imagery of people that are in your size range, that are in your more body type and Mm. being able to um, understand how they might work for you. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, All right, let's talk talk overrated or underrated, Ryan. Okay. I just, this will break up. Amy's got to help me on this. Okay. (laughs) All right, I'll ask you both. Coffee, overrated or underrated? Underrated. Under coffee's underrated, Ryan. Mm, I'd say appropriately rated. That's that's the third answer that he didn't tell you. <laughs> I think it's overrated, actually. Yeah. Man, I own a coffee shop with Ryan. We own a coffee oh, shop in, in St. Petersburg, Florida, oh. uh, called Bandit. But um, here's why I think it's overrated because I give it way too much pull in my everyday life. Mm. I drink it every day. And do I need to drink it every day necessarily? No, probably not. So no. the correct answer is overrated. You're both incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sandwiches. Overrated, underrated? Underrated. Overrated. <laughs> Wait, you just said underrated. Mm-hmm. Sandwiches are underrated. Sandwiches are freaking delicious. But what man. is a sandwich, really, when we but think about it? Sandwiches make you feel bloated and they, achy. And yeah, that's true. But, like, <laughs> but I mean, you get, like, the perfect sandwich. Like, I'm thinking about... Um, like a like a bacon egg and cheese biscuit mm-hmm. or like a bacon egg and cheese croissant but see yeah. i feel i feel like pcp or this something. is I, it, this is like a little uh you know unfair because i could eat like a bucket of nails and then run a marathon oh, so like i just i have like i just have a really strong stomach gotcha. and like gluten and stuff does not i don't eat sandwiches Ma- yes i mean i definitely uh would probably have a few more pounds on me if i ate sandwiches regularly <laughs> but uh one of my <laughs> So Mariah and I, we met on OkCupid okay. like five years ago. Actually, going on six years. And uh, she said the, the main reason why she reached out to me was because I think the first line in my OkCupid profile was, I love sandwiches. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> she was like, I love sandwiches too. Like literally the first time we met, <laughs> we were talking about sandwiches. Well, this has an emotional meaning for yeah. you. Yes, it, it does. But, but I mean, I will say that, uh, I mean, that was total satire and she got the joke, but also <laughs> she got it in the sense that 
sandwiches are underrated and people don't appreciate them enough. Okay. Uh, you're actually incorrect. The, the correct <laughs> answer is overrated. Amy, I got this one right here. Avocados, overrated or underrated? Oh, so overrated. So overrated. I'd have to say underrated. Oh my goodness, overrated. Yeah, you're both incorrect. They are appropriately rated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sunglasses. Uh, overrated. Underrated. Mm, they are they're overrated. Mm. He, he, they're actually not that important. In fact, it's important <laughs> to probably expose ourselves to sun a whole lot more, especially our eyes. Yeah. Um, if you are looking directly at the sun, bad idea. Bad idea. Or if you're like snowboarding or something and like you got the glare off the snow, you yeah, got to yeah. wear some goggles because it is very important to... I don't know. I lost my sunglasses for about a month yeah. and I was dying commuting oh. in LA. Like it's hard to read signs and stuff. On the super the sunny glare. days, I could see where they're valuable. I, I I put too much weight on them. Like I'm wearing glasses right now mm-hmm. and I can't wear... I don't have a prescription set of... A prescription pair of sunglasses yet. So like I... Uh, used to hate going out with my glasses when it was sunny, but then like after doing it after a while, I'm like, I don't need it that bad. I do agree though when you're driving, like there are certain instances you got to have some sunglasses. All right, let's do two more. All right. Palm trees, overrated or underrated? <laughs> underrated. <laughs> I don't know. Ap- appropriately rated? That is correct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, they don't grow natively in Los Angeles or they didn't originally. I'm they not shocked flown by this. They in and... We- <laughs> Planted here, yeah. maybe in the twenties. Yeah, uh, oh, Bex and crazy. I, Bex and I went to the Ames Case Study House. I don't know if you've ever been out there, yeah. but but uh, they built it. He built it all himself, right? Like it was yeah, and really cheap. Like they were broke when they built it, and it is a work of art. It's yeah. it's like out near Santa Monica, yeah. Pacific Palisades, and it's basically built out of just some steel and glass. But it is gorgeous. I mean, it's unbelievable. And you have to set up a um, if you do a tour, it's like weeks in advance. You want to do the interior tour. It, it's really enjoyable, um, but one of the, the things that's on, on the um, property are these particular trees. I think they're eucalyptus trees, and uh, Abbott Kinney like, planted them all over Southern California, which sounds like a great idea because he thought they were going to be really useful in building things, but the type he built aren't or he planted aren't good at oh, doing... They're not, they're not useful at all, mm. <laughs> except in one thing. They're really useful to catch on fire. Mm. Oh, no. So really, yeah, really, really bad idea to plant a bunch of like fire hazards <laughs> all over so, the, one of the driest mm. places where a lot of people are. Mm. And so a, a lot, just a giant fire hazard everywhere. Uh, palm trees are ap- appropriately rated. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this segment should be called like Josh's judgments. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so my ruling. Yeah. Some scientific yeah. Judge Josh is in session. All right. What else? What else you got? The for last us? one. Los Angeles. Overrated or underrated? Oh man, mm. we're gonna disagree on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's appropriately rated. I would have to say the same. I agree. You were all correct. Oh here. wow. Okay. So here's the thing. It's it's hyped up a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But the hype is actually appropriate yeah. in this case. Like it is rated very high, but for a reason. It's yeah. pretty awesome. Well, we were just talking about this before we started recording. How Los Angeles has everything you want, and that is like the rating that people usually give it. LA has everything. It does. <laughs> you just have to know what you want. Like that's the hard part about living in LA. Can we talk about no? Oh man! <laughs> All right. Nine apps to how help can I you. say? How can I say no to that that smile? <laughs> Can we talk about uh, <laughs> nine apps that help you live more sustainably? So, so this article that is from the Good Trade, um, I n- I never really until I read this, I never really thought much about like 
apps to help me live more sustainably. I, you generally think of apps as things that I waste my time on. Totally. So, so can we talk a little bit about this? Yeah, I think I, maybe my favorite example um, is an app called Strava. I don't use it personally, but my husband does. He's a marathoner and triathlete, and it tracks your it tracks your fitness, but it also allows you to connect with other people. So mm-hmm. his brother lives in the Midwest. He can see how he's training and his other club members here in oh, Los cool. Angeles. I love apps that allow us to actually like get outside, Mm -hmm. do something to get off our technology, but they encourage that, like facilitate that. And I think um, those are the apps that that provide a lot of meaning for us in the long run. I'm thinking real quick about uh, what the example you're giving there. I I very much treated Twitter that way for a long time with respect to it is not the best way to build a strong connection with someone. But it was a great way for me to build an initial connection yeah, that eventually we ended up meeting in in the real world. And I think I think that's true. If we're if we're using apps to pacify ourselves, then it's not ideal. It yeah. builds really weak ties, as Cal Newport would call it. Yeah. But but for me, it builds that initial tie that is weak. But then you can build upon uh, upon that tie. Yeah. Ryan, are there any apps that you use that you feel like? Yeah. Uh, Dude, I, lo- I like the Aura Ring app is great. Um, I mean, it's... We it, both have a, these Aura Rings. So it's a sleep tracker, essentially. Oh, it nice. does track, like, walking and stuff, but, I mean, I'm just, like, a horrible sleeper. So I got this to, like, help me find patterns in, like, yeah. diet or exercise. Yeah. or And they're just some things that, like, I just didn't even think would really affect... Like, if I drink coffee after, like, 1 p.m., totally screws my sleep up if i exercise within like three to four hours before i go to sleep totally messes with my sleep so it's just like these small incremental things and it's not like my sleep is incredible now but it is it's getting better like as getting more information yeah Yeah. exactly so i really like that i in the little health app that comes on the the iphone Mm -hmm. i mean that's something really awesome it really is like just to kind of see how many steps you've taken in a day i mean i'm trying to think like uh Mariah and I yesterday we went and saw a movie so like we walked to the movies and then uh, we did something we walked somewhere else but long story short it's like I'm like oh man like we didn't really do a lot of exercise today let me see, let me see how many steps we got in I look at it and we've walked like five or six miles I'm like oh you know what we actually did get enough exercise in today we don't have to go do anything else but yeah it was yeah. it was the app just kind of keeping track of just those little you know walks in the uh, walks in the park or you know just like doing jazzercise in the living room keeps track of those steps <laughs> <laughs> what about offer up the biggest mobile marketplace for local buyers and sellers i have totally unfamiliar with this and i have not i have not downloaded it yet offer up yeah can you, can you talk a little bit about it sure yeah so i haven't used the app itself but i think the whole idea of there are so many things in our homes that might be of use to someone else when they're no longer of use to us. Mm-hmm. We have a puppy and he just grew out of his crate. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we've only used it like four or five months. Mm-hmm. So finding those things that it's time to let it go for me, but it might be of use to someone else and being able to keep things in circulation, OfferUp is is kind of the highest rated app that we found for that purpose of being able to use, um, resell your your household items yeah, I love that. I think about the cost of our things quite often and and it often starts with the actual cost of the thing like if you want to buy this book it's 16.99 and yeah. and that is a cost but there's also a cost of holding on to a thing so holding on to that mm-hmm. crate let's say you just yeah, exactly. you just kept it it's it, let's say you could sell it for I don't know 50 bucks yeah. okay 
you're it's costing you fifty dollars yeah, yeah, to ho- keep it in the garage yes to, to hold on to that thing and how many things are we holding on yeah. to right now where we're paying hundreds thousands yeah. maybe tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. because oh, i'll just i'll hold on to it just in case yeah. or you know what i i really don't feel like trying to sell it right now or whatever yeah. it is okay that's fine but realize you're actually giving up the money that you it, it's you know in business we would call it cash flow but your house your household has a, a particular cash flow as yeah. well there's something else you could do with that that resource with that money yeah yeah, yeah. talk about sustainability i mean having something in your house that is getting no use then finding someone that can get some use out yeah, of it. They exactly. don't have to purchase it new. Yeah, yeah. It's, I love yeah, it. Yeah, and I think beyond just the financial value too, how many things in our homes are not, don't have any meaning because we're not using them. Mm-hmm. And so that that ability to give away or sell a product um, allows that that thing to now have meaning and yeah. be useful for someone. Yeah, what is What is paper karma? Oh, I've heard of this one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you all about it. I think Paper Karma, I think it has it's similar to um what's the app that or what 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 service do we use to not get junk mail? Isn't it similar to that? No. Paper No? Uh-uh. It doesn't Okay, never mind. I have no idea what it is. No. I thought Paper Karma was so, had well, something here, to do I, with I, junk I, mail. Well, thankfully I have the article printed out nice. here. Um, here's the irony of that. Um, <laughs> we'll see in a second. Snap a photo, save a tree. Why we love it. It can be easy to, to unsubscribe from junk mail on your Gmail account, but less so with physical mail. Dude, that's exactly what I just said. Paper karma <laughs> is the ultimate recycling tool. Take a photo of your junk mail and stop receiving all ads and magazines within one to three cycles. Subscribe awesome. to continue saving trees I'm gonna and s- time using I'm going to start karma. using that. What's the link that we reference? What do you mean? What's the link that we, we reference? We, there's, a, there's a reference. Minimalists.com slash day 15 would be the, <laughs> rank, the link that I reference. Where we, where we talk about getting stopping junk mail. You can get on a list that requests no more junk mail. That works. Like it does. Like 90% of the junk yeah. mail I used to get, I don't get anymore. Oh, that's awesome. But there's that last little 10%, and I'm going to use Paper Karma to see if I can get rid of the last 10%. Yeah, give it a shot too. Yeah. Let's do one more here. Done Good is an app. Get cool stuff, save money, do good. Yeah, so DoneGood is a really cool um, application that you can put on your browser. And they, I believe that they donate a proceed, like a portion of proceeds when you buy something when the app is on um, your mobile browser extension or or desktop extension as well. Um, so that's a way to kind of give back while you're doing your online shopping. Um, and then they also point you directly to ethical and sustainable brands as well. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, one, one more article here before we dive into our surprise questions. Seven socially responsible investment platforms. Yes. This is probably my, out of all the articles that I was looking at, this is probably my favorite one because... Awesome. I mean, I've got like, I, I have a Betterment account. Yeah. Josh and I've got SEP IRAs. Yeah. But there is something about investing in a company you know is just out for yeah. making money and yeah. they don't care about the environment. Yeah. And and it's there is this cognitive dissonance that I personally have. I yeah. know I have it. Totally. Where I'm investing in these companies, I'm like, well, where else am I going to invest it? Well, we have the answer for you. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so, so you, you've got some in here. It starts off with Swell Investing, which I've, I've heard of. Yeah. Let me just read this real quick. Socially Responsible Mission. Swell is an investment platform focused on providing consumers with a way to invest in companies that have a positive impact on the world. They carry forward the belief that what you care about and what you invest in can be one and the same. 
Swell, in, Swell invests in growth companies that offer innovative solutions to some of the world's biggest challenges like renewable energy, clean water, and healthcare. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that I often think about when, when I'm thinking about, you know, I invest in the S&P 500 and, yep. and in that S&P 500, there are companies who I, I don't look to them to dictate my values. But yeah. then the question is, where, where am I dumping my money? Is it, is it against my values exactly. in a way? Yeah. And I think this goes back to your earlier question about what is the most impact we're actually having? And when we think about the fact that we might be putting our savings and our retirement accounts in these companies that we really have no idea, right. um, you know, how they're operating and essentially they're operating to maximize shareholder value without, you know, much thought around how they're impacting their communities. So right. when you think about like your own personal impact, this has been something that I've thought of lot about personally how do i align my investment dollars with my values so Mm. swell is an amazing um company backed by pacific life and they are have really um focused on on those different sectors as you read and that's a way to to think about um you know kind of aligning those values with your investments. Yeah. Sean, let's put a link to this article in there because there are six other platforms in here as well. And folks want to, if they want to dive deep, take a look at all of the uh, investment platforms that are, are socially responsible. They can, they can take a look at that. All right, podcast, Sean, you've got some surprise questions queued up for us. Surprise. <laughs> Looks like our first question is from Mel in Vancouver. I've noticed that the minimalist movement overlaps with a lot of the values and ideals of the zero waste movement. Um, I was wondering if you feel as though you have actively tried to decrease your output of waste in your process of becoming a minimalist, or if that's been an accidental positive effect? Um, Or do you feel like your minimalist journey has been partially fueled by environmental needs? I'm also wondering whether either of you have ever considered joining the tiny house movement. Less is more, and does that apply to your housing as well? I'm building my tiny house in a year, and I'm super excited to see how it will step up my minimalist game. So we'll start with the, the first part about um, did the environment or environmentalism drive me toward minimalism? And then she also said, does it fuel your brand of minimalism? And uh, my answer is, no and then yes. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> yeah. I, I I didn't I came here because I had way too much debt and I was letting things control my life. Yeah. But then I started realizing, like, wow, if I produce less, I produce less waste. If I have less stuff, if I consume yeah. less, consume less, produce less waste, then all of a sudden I realized, like, oh yeah, this is I'm doing a good thing. It started yeah. to make me be more conscious and conscientious with respect to the things that I do bring into yeah. my life and yeah. does it have packaging if so let me let me let me question this in a different yeah. way it's interesting like i feel like a minimalist automatically starts to become an environmentalist totally. because of what josh just said when yeah. you consume less you're going to waste less but i don't think the opposite is true an environmentalist no. is not necessarily a minimalist mm. because i know a lot of people who are very 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 conscious about the environment yeah and because they're so conscious about the environment, they hoard so much. Oh, it's funny oh, you say that. Yeah. I, I, when we went yeah. out to that, that Ames house, the thing I, 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 I was actually a little disappointed by one thing about it is, so it's a left. They, they left it in its condition uh, when Ray Ames died, the, the, the wife of uh, Charles Ames. Uh, she died 10 years to the day after him. Mm-hmm. 
And so they left, the house is still like maintained the way they left it. Interesting. But they were kind of hoarders in a way. <laughs> like my, what I suspect, actually what I know. Like because, legit left the way when they died. Like everything's still there. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. Like, like they used their counter, like they, they weren't hoarders the way that we see on TV shows, but they really enjoyed objects in a way that I think starts to become a little bit of a problem because we start clinging really tightly sure. to the things that we that we own and i think you bring up a good point i know some i was going to say the opposite is true but now that you say that ryan like yeah there's some environmentalists who do tend to, to hoard well, a bit too much <laughs> i mean even when i think about like zero waste friends that that we have and that we've run into they will have this little stash of stuff that they don't know what to do with hmm. i've got used light bulbs i've got you know used you know dead batteries i mean they know what to do with it but it's a process like you know there's a lot of effort that goes into getting rid of certain things and you know ethically and there's a guilt i think yeah. that comes along and i think that you mentioned another question about when it's time to get rid of things and i think for environmentalists sometimes there's too much like um guilt or shame around actually letting something go and it yeah. no longer serves you yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's a balance right like you've got to you've got to accept that there's going to be some waste and like sure. I, I think where people at least like the environmentalists that i know who hoard a bunch of things they they do have this guilt of like well i don't want to put it in a landfill but it's like landfills aren't the enemy like it's 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 the it's the impulsive consumption yeah. it is the not thinking about the landfills and how much we're filling it like that is what the problem is it's not the landfill itself like if we all were you know just a little bit more environmentally conscious maybe the landfill could be you know half the size but we're going to have to put all our crap somewhere. Like those, all the coffee filters that we use for coffee. I mean, just things that we use on a daily basis. Like we're going to have to find some way to dispose of those properly. Yeah. I, I think that, um, if I, if I just pivot over to the tiny house question, because it is adjacent to this. Yeah. Um, I'm not a part of the tiny house movement. I'm a part of the appropriately sized house <laughs> movement. I'm, a, I'm part of the simple house movement. <laughs> yeah. and, and I mean, you know, if you, if you take a look at where Bex, Ella and I live, we live in a, a two bedroom apartment. Uh, you can see our house tour on, on YouTube and it's appropriately sized for us. And I don't, I can't imagine, especially with Ella living in a tiny house, mm. But it's not to say that at some point in time, a tiny house won't be appropriate yeah. for me. Right. And so it's questioning what the space that we live in. Yeah. And also it's not just about like, what do I need? But what do I want? What are my preferences? What do I enjoy? What do I get value from? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm six foot, Mariah's 5'10". So like living in a tiny house, like my cousin has a tiny house, him and his <laughs> wife. And uh, it's great, but yeah, I feel like, you know, in a hundred square foot, like Mariah and I being as tall as we are, like, isn't the best fit for us. It's not the most appropriate fit for us. And I can only imagine like you and Bex who are both like seven foot four <laughs> yeah. being in a tiny house. Yeah. <laughs> well, Elle is taller than all of us just because she jumps around and climbs on right. things. And I, I don't know, I, I, when, when it comes to home, yeah. um, I, I assume that, you know, you're not living with nothing, obviously, but you're still living sustainably, right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. My husband and I made the transition about a year and a half ago. We were living in a 400 square foot um, little cottage and it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And it forced us to to keep things 
really simple. But then I think what it what we were feeling constraints around was hosting people in our home, mm-hmm. having family from out of town stay, getting another dog. And so we made the transition to a two bedroom and we've been able to do all those things. And it, it's not that we've added more things exactly to our home we've added more people because we can have you know people stay and and people come and and we have another dog in our home and uh, these things bring are what brings us so much joy and life Mm. and connection um and and for our lifestyle we needed a a slightly bigger space to to host that i know ryan's looking for another place to live i I know it's maybe you could talk about this a bit ryan the um you live in a one bedroom now yeah one bedroom one bathroom completely appropriate for yeah. you and Mariah except you like to host people a lot yeah. they, you like to bring people in from out of town they stay with you yeah. uh, so much so that it becomes a problem after uh, <laughs> after a while <laughs> well no one no one took me up on my offer when I lived in Missoula Montana oh, yeah? <laughs> like very few people and then like LA all it's like you know if it was two out of ten people who took me up on it in Missoula now it's like eight out of ten totally. <laughs> in LA yeah. totally yeah. everyone comes out of the woodwork They're right like, hey I'll be in town for a while right. and you're like okay but you're yeah. gonna have to climb through my bedroom to get to the bathroom so. <laughs> yeah that's a little bit a little bit harder no i i uh we have an air mattress and like we still have been able to host some people at our yeah. place but i mean just like the one bathroom thing if you, let's say you know it's me and ryan then we're hosting you know another couple mm-hmm. like that's with one bathroom that's it's, it's a little bit it's of a, a little tight. yeah it's, it's yeah. a little tight a little bit of a pain in the butt well i, I noticed with charles and, and ray ames in in their house the the um What's it called? Case study number eight house. Um, put a link to that in the show notes, by the way, Sean. The case study number eight, because it's a beautiful place, but they built it for their needs specifically, right? And so they built a house that was appropriately sized. And it looks much bigger than what it is because the huge windows and the light and they have this big front yard that overlooks the ocean. And it's amazing. But the house itself isn't that big. But even for them, they had two bathrooms because they went to work together. And so they wanted to be efficient. So we're going to go get ready at the same time. Or maybe Uh, just their moment of personal space. That's important to you. Absolutely. Whereas Bex finds, we have two uh, bathrooms in our apartment. She finds the time. She only wants to use our bathroom (laughs) to get ready when I'm using our bathroom to get ready. (laughs) (laughs) It's a strange thing. Hey, do you mind if I just move your stuff over here, Josh? You need like a schedule to (laughs) to follow. the door has a lock on and Ella will come up and start knocking on the door. <laughs> Give me my privacy. Yeah, she'll tell me that too. She'll, she'll come into the bathroom and say, hey, can I have some privacy <laughs> with you? <laughs> no, you cannot. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Pete in Phoenix, Arizona has a question for us. My wife and I have been pretty nomadic for the last few years. We've moved um, kind of around the world a couple times. We're about to move again to New York and settle down and take over ownership of a, of a business there. Um, we're ha- I'm having some anxiety around furniture. Currently, we're living out of suitcases and we don't own any furniture, but we're um, looking to rent a house and we need some basic furniture. But I really don't know where to start. It's kind of a, uh, a nice problem to have, but... Uh, I've been looking for suggestions on minimalist furniture lists and that kind of thing. We have a minimal budget, of course. Um, So any help uh, directing us there would be greatly appreciated. Well, he's looking for a list, and thankfully I have one, thanks to (laughs) thegoodtrade.com. You know what's funny? If you were to ask me like 10 years ago, 
minimalist furniture, I would have been like, oh, Ikea. Like, it's so minimal. Uh, but then after, like, actually <laughs> buying Ikea stuff and putting that crap together, yeah. it is, it's not very minimal. It's not a minimal amount of work. It's, it's not quality. And then if no, you try to move it, oh, my God. It's disintegrate. Heaven forbid you try to move a piece that you put together from Ikea. Yeah. Not, yeah, I think IKEA has its place, and and sure. and, and you know, Certainly. although the the blogs where couples fight in IKEA, we did a, a podcast with Rosie Golan, the, the musician. <laughs> she said almost ruined her uh, <laughs> actually, uh, yeah, relationship. Yeah, no. And there's a whole thing of people. Uh, there's a blog of people getting in fights in IKEA, and it's like it's almost designed to create anxiety that then <laughs> makes you want to buy Man. something, right? Oh partnership stress to make you buy <laughs> right it's crazy when it's like a conversion tactic oh right right and so so in this article it's called 10 eco-friendly furniture sources for a stylish and conscious home we'll put a link to that in the show notes um you've got a bunch in here joy bird was the first one yeah. that 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 stood out what's well, on the first one on the list here um can you talk a little bit about about any of these sure. these these places yeah. and why, why they're in your article yeah so we looked for companies that were using materials that were more eco-friendly, um, that had a certain level of craft craftsmanship that would allow these pieces to last for literally decades. Like when you're outfitting your home, that's the goal. That's the ideal yeah. is to bring pieces into your home that, that can last for a long time. Um, Honestly, there are a number of great companies on that list and the prices kind of range. Honestly, my favorite resource is Etsy because you can connect yeah. with a local maker who will often be using reclaimed wood, reclaimed materials. You can have it created exactly to your dimensions and your preferences. And when you when you are a part of the process of creating something like that, the love and kind of the way that you cherish that mm. and the way that it serves you and your family's needs, I think is so much more exponential than than buying something you know stock or, or pre-made yeah. um but that can be a great a great option too didn't you use etsy for your cow yeah on? i got like a, nice. i had this beautiful unique like dutch modern from the 60s it's like reupholstered but it's like an cool. eight foot eight foot couch i mean it's yeah. like i can lay down on it and like there's still room for two people to sit like That's it awesome. is it is really really awesome i really really enjoy it um and it wasn't like the shipping was like the most expensive part getting sure. it to Missoula, Montana. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Etsy Etsy is a really, really awesome place to go. Although I will tell you, I think it's only me who like really appreciates this couch. I've had one person who came <laughs> over. Couch a lot, man. I've had one person come over. They're like, that is a beautiful couch. I'm like, thank you. Because to me, it's like the centerpiece of our house. Oh, but I'm God. the only one that thinks that. But that's all right. And, and Josh thinks that apparently too. Yeah, I, I really, <laughs> I, I enjoy it. I think it's beautiful. And I think aesthetics are important. Um, I, I don't, I don't place, uh, you know, they say you know, form follows function and that's that's how it should be, I think, yeah. that we don't want to buy something because, well, it's a beautiful couch, but it's terrible to sit on, yeah. right? right? Then it's like, well, uh, no, I was allowing, I was trying to cram function into the form of this right. thing, right? Um, the thing that I, I will talk to Pete about real quick is I think you want to start slow. When, when Bex and I first move out to Los Angeles, um, we didn't bring a lot of the, the stuff we had previously for a whole bunch of d reasons. We s we worked on slowly populating our our living yeah. space. We didn't because here's the thing: when you move into a new living space, you feel compelled immediately. I want this to be complete. I want it to be it's done. True, yeah. Let's go out this weekend and buy everything we need. Right? I'll go to West Elm. I'll go to IKEA. I'll go to Bow Concept, and then we're all done. And yep. <laughs> but that's not that intentional, right? 
I think sometimes what we have to do is we have to live in the space for a little bit. Realize that you are complete even in an empty room and in the space you're going to, what you're going to fill that space with should augment that experience of already being complete. So finding the couch that is right for you may not be the couch that was right for Ryan. Yeah. Or do you even need a couch at all? I mean, right. that's something that I just bought within the last few years. I went mm. uh, damn near a decade without one yeah. and didn't really feel compelled to have one. In fact, I felt compelled to not have one because I wasn't using it that much. But now that I have a family, yeah. we use it a bit more. And so what is appropriate now? Yes, I want to buy something that is going to last 10 years, 20 years or whatever. But if three years from now, I know I'm not getting value from it. I also need to be willing to say, okay. I thought I was going to get value from this, but I'm not really getting value from it. Maybe someone else can, and yeah. it's okay to let go of it. Yeah. yeah, I think creating a timeline and a plan is really helpful too. Thinking mm. like in the first quarter that we arrive, you know, at our new home, we need a mattress. We need, you know, these these four or five pieces, yeah. and then allowing to plan and do the research and to budget for those pieces, and then know like the following quarter we're going to get to the rest of these things. I think allows you to settle into the process a bit more than that that rushed feeling um but then also having the security of like yes we will get a nightstand table eventually if that's something that we need and want yeah right. and, and chunking and there yeah are, chunking yeah there, there are things that that can be temporary you know you have a temporary nightstand right now right you've yeah. <laughs> i literally use my the cajon that you gave me. Oh yeah. I use the, the cajon. It's like it doubles. It's a musical instrument, but it's also my nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like get up playing in the middle of the night to just aggravate Mariah? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the the other thing to think about here, because he, he mentioned the word anxiety, mm. and and maybe ask yourself, why am I feeling anxious? Mm-hmm. Is, is it someone else's expectation? Is it my own expectation? And how can I how can I alleviate some of that anxiety? Yeah. I think sometimes we realize that the anxiety is unwarranted sometimes it might be like not having the mattress yeah yeah, it's probably going to create a worse sleep experience right right? (laughs) and so that's something that i'd probably like to have right away right uh mattresses highly underrated Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh, and in fact uh we were a few episodes ago doing something about our favorite things and Mm. and it's because my daughter plays this game where where she will walk around the house and she'll help us identify what her favorite things are and uh, it helps me realize what she gets value from, but also the other things she doesn't get value from. Like her favorite things right now are these two little pet rocks she has. <laughs> and it's like, oh, look, I can buy you all, I could buy you a gold-plated toy. It's not going to do any good because these two rocks work really well. And for me, it was like my pillow. My pillow is so highly mm-hmm. uh, underrated, but it may not work for someone else. And so I will feel less anxiety if I have the right mattress, the right pillow, the other things might actually start to produce more anxiety in yeah, me, yeah. having the wrong things in my space, right? And so I think sometimes we'll bring something in because it was an aspirational purchase, but then realize like, oh, okay, this doesn't work for me anymore. Maybe it doesn't work in my new space as much as I thought it would. And being willing to let go is something that's important. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we got another question here from Rachel in Clarksburg, Maryland. As I embark on my minimalist journey, I find I'm struggling with when to replace an item versus when to repair it. Here's an example. I have a suitcase. I love it. It's the perfect size. No matter what you put in it, you can't pack it over 50 pounds, which makes it great for flying. Well, the handle broke on it. Everything else works fine, and I was able to fix the handle using some duct tape because, you know, duct tape can fix everything. While it's functional, again, it doesn't look very good. 
So I'd like to hear your advice or perspective on at what point do you fix an item and at what point do you replace it? Seth Godin talked about this, I think, in a blog post. I don't have access to it right now, but I, I'll give a an overview, and I'd love to hear both of your thoughts uh, just about replacing versus fixing and, and when is it appropriate. I think a bit of it's a, a sort of an art. Uh, it's almost like art. Like you, you, yeah. you know when to replace something, and then other times you know that you should probably uh, just get it fixed, right? right. But uh, Seth Godin was, was talking about... Um, there was a movie theater he used to go to and there's a beautiful couch there, leather couch. Did you read this? I don't know. If you no. Know. And uh, there's this couch and then all of a sudden he realized once there was a bunch of tape where there was a hole on, you know, there was some duct tape. And, and so uh, there was someone at the movie theater who did what Rachel did and there was a, it was, duct tape was a nice temporary solution to avoid, you know, getting the, making the hole larger. Yeah. But at some point, someone just said, hey, it's okay. I guess we'll just keep adding more duct tape to this right. thing. <laughs> and that's that's not okay yeah. because um, you, there, there are layers. There are actually you know, several... Layers of duct tape? <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> as a metaphor, right? <laughs> layers of duct, duct tape where we just start tolerating what should be intolerable, what should be a temporary solution, isn't a long-term yeah. solution. However, that said, there are plenty of times where we shouldn't just throw out the thing. Yeah. I, I think about the the boots that I wear. I often have them resold yeah, as opposed to just uh, replacing them every time. Eventually, if the, the leather starts going, I can't have them resold. Yeah. I'm not going to add duct tape to them, at least not long term. Yeah. Maybe if like all of a sudden my toes started poking out and there was a temporary solution, I could yeah. put duct tape on it. But I I realized that like there is a difference between what I can do to fix this today and what I need to do to fix it long term. And sometimes fixing it long term means taking it to a specialist who can actually help me resole yeah. the shoe because I'm not doing it myself. Yeah. I think that's really wonderfully said. I think that... If you can look at a piece um, and think that you can restore it to its original function within a budget that you might be able to replace it, then you should do that. You should restore that piece. Um, but you shouldn't go too long with the temporary solution that's not serving you in the way that that if it were properly restored, it would serve you. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe having a, a deadline of sorts, like yeah. I, within 60 days, I'm going to replace this okay. or, or repair it. Yeah, exactly. And, and then moving forward with one of those two options and not feeling the guilt and the weight of letting something go, but realizing like, you know, what what other purpose could this serve? Is this suitcase that no longer has a handle? Could it be nice storage in the garage, like actually serve as a container for something? You know, yeah. is there a creative use of this item that wasn't its original purpose, but now can give meaning and value back to me in a different way? I love that. Like, is there a secondary use for that suitcase? I think a lot of these things too are perspectival because like me, I would like duct tape the handle and I would like wear it as a badge of honor <laughs> yeah. and think it was cool. We're like, it would drive Josh crazy to have yeah. a duct tape handle gotcha. on a suitcase. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff I think comes down to perspective. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. like even with the couch in the movie theater, it's like, if that's their aesthetic. It's not though. It was a beautiful theater, beautiful couch. And someone said, hey, I've got a temporary solution. And then right. generations of people, not literally, but like 
corporate generations, you know, where, where someone came in and became the manager and they said, eh, I guess it's okay. Yeah. I guess this is acceptable. But it wasn't acceptable. Right. It's just we tend to tolerate what has already been happening. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying, though, if it is their aesthetic, though, like take that, take the whole cushion and make it a duct tape cushion. Like if that's really what your aesthetic is. But I, I totally agree. Like you've got to look at your personality yeah. and, and, and think and about like, yeah, for, like what's going yeah. to work for you for that specific example with, with uh, Seth Godin. Yeah. If they're trying to produce an, an effect, like a very, very nice environment, you're going to take away from that with a duct tape yeah. couch. But if you go to like, Oh, maybe that's a good way to look at it then. Right. Is, is this adding to, or is it taking away from the experience of the thing for you, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know when I travel, I'm traveling for work. So I probably, you know, I want to put my best foot forward. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. so that would be an important part of replacing quickly or, right. or yeah. Where it's, it's like, I mean, I think about my, my Toyota Corolla. I got a 2004 yeah. Toyota Corolla. It's like rust. I mean, there's like this huge <laughs> rust spot that's just slowly growing. Yep. And you should see it's parked next to like a G wagon <laughs> in my garage. And the next to that is a Ferrari. And the next to that is yep. a Tesla. And I mean, it's like, but again, like I wear, like I love that yeah. my car is a piece of yeah. crap. Like I really, really wear it as a badge of honor. So yeah, it's, you got to ask yourself like what's yeah. appropriate for you. Yeah. 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 That's a great point. Ryan's very punk rock and I'm very classical. Our <laughs> 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 right, next question here is from Adam in Edmonton. I have a problem with online shopping. Um, I sit at a computer all day for work, so I end up browsing the internet quite frequently, um, often making rash decisions for things that I don't really need, uh, which is generally clothing. Um, I often never feel satisfied with what I have, and I'm currently, well, and always craving a new thing. I'm actually quite good at restricting my closet and getting rid of something I currently have once I receive this new thing. But it definitely hurts my bank account, and in most cases, I already own an item that I use more frequently that I derive more value from. I'd love to hear if you or anyone listening uh, has any tips that they use to combat these urges um, to always have something shiny and new. So I have one last article here from The Good Trade, and it applies somewhat to Adam. Uh, It's called A Survival Guide for Women Who Work From Home. But um, (laughs) the the thing that, that I noticed here is like, it's looking at it's sort of looking at the bright side because I mean really what what Adam is saying is like man I'm having a problem with online shopping it's easy it's removed so much friction that I just it's become too easy right but also I think we can look at it as a great privilege that I have the opportunity to buy that thing online I don't have to go to the Beverly Center and and uh, walk past all the the uh, idiocracy of uh, overabundant consumerism, unabashed consumerism, and I can buy the thing that I need. However, when we remove all the friction, then all of a sudden it starts to become a problem, as it is a problem for for Adam. And really, this article, which I'll put a link to in in the show notes here, uh, is by Emily Torres, and uh, I like how she rephrased this. And then we can we, we can use this as a jump off point to talk about Adam's question. The subtitle of this is, you work from home, you're so lucky. I worked from home exclusively for over two years and heard every version of the phrase, you're so lucky, imaginable. I was told how fortunate I was to be able to work in my pajamas, how wonderful it was to be able to just leave the house whenever I wanted, and how lucky I was to be able to create my own schedule. In reality, though, to call the actual situation bleak would be an understatement. 
What started out as basking in the daily luxury and freedom of working whenever and however I wanted to soon became waking up and pulling on the same dress uh, dress as I had worn the day before and the day before that too. <laughs> At least you put on clothes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, next sentence here, showers evaded me. <laughs> New friendships evaded me, mm. and ultimately leaving the apartment became a thing of the past. <laughs> so she became, uh, what's the term, agoraphobe. Yeah. Um, I had even moved to a new city during that time, so the loneliness was real. I, and mm. I think this can be true in a workplace, too, for Adam. Like, if you're working in an office or a yeah. cubicle, it all of a sudden becomes the... You're surrounded by other people, but you're not. Just like you are in a city. Yeah. Yeah. You've got all these access to people, but yeah. you're not accessing. There's a sense of isolation still. Yeah. 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 And, and then what do we do with that sense of isolation? We try to pacify ourselves by online shopping, which is where Adam m- might be right now. So uh, continuing on here in the text, I became so in- inextric- inextricably tied to my work that I began to let it define my worth as a person. I started to see myself as the amount of dollars I pulled in each day instead of the fully dimensional, albeit struggling human being that I am. Uh, because of this crippling self-worth issue, it took more time and energy than usual for me to finally get out and join a yoga studio. But that was the first step in realizing that my human self needed more than just podcasts and work all day. <laughs> Once I began to rejoin the world through a regular out-of-the-house habit, I found more energy to start applying for jobs and eventually landed a job that had me, that had me out of the house regularly. Hello, the good trade. <laughs> <laughs> while, I never fully, uh, while I never fully changed it all around to become a completely healthy work-from-home woman, Those two years gave me a lot of empathy, kindness, and patience for other women who may be struggling with depression, loneliness, and self-worth issues. It could be a real problem for telecommuters from feeling left out to all the serious mental health issues that can come with social isolation. I noticed that here, I think a lot of the people who work in this building, we're at a WeWork facility here. Uh, We have our own space. It'd be easy for us to isolate ourselves in here. But generally when I'm working from here, I go out to the common areas because there are other people there. I I identified as like ambient people. So like even in your office, I assume most days you could work from home, but there's a different energy about working around other people. Yeah, so so what I've noticed with uh, when I when I spend my time around other people, having access to other people, it's also access to personal connection, and and um, there are some tips in this article that we'll talk about that I think can help you, even if you do work from home or if you're working from a, from a cubicle, that might help you out uh, as well. Now that I'm further removed from the mire, I I can see more clearly what did and what could have helped me feel more vibrant, energized, and productive. If you're struggling with balance while working from home, here are the best been there, done that tips. First one is make your work day work for you. One of the most important aspects of working from home is establishing boundaries and creating work rules for yourself. An at-home workday can spiral into an all-day workday if you aren't setting proper goals for yourself. And I would just say, if you aren't setting those, those boundaries, and all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I really should empty out the dishwasher. Yeah. Mm. I should do the laundry, <laughs> yeah. right? You just uh, shit all over yourself. Right, right. <laughs> and and it's it becomes like, all of a sudden, just like, 
cleaning the house for the seventh time today because I'm putting off the the meaningful work, right? I think it's one of the things that is beneficial about coming to a space like this. I get to leave the home life aside. Have that separation. Right. And you're creating these physical boundaries in a way, right? Where, where, yeah, I can work from home and I do that sometimes, but I, I don't always make it a habit because... Yeah, I think it's a wonderful privilege, but we can squander that privilege mm-hmm. by by just doing housework. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's like my whole journey with minimalism. It's been it's just it's helped me set boundaries. Mm-hmm. And like that's really what this these last, you know, almost yeah. a decade, like what what I've been doing are setting boundaries for myself to help me live a more intentional life. Uh Mariah and I we went to a blue bottle because I broke actually Mariah broke it. Mariah and I both break a lot of things. Uh, Mariah broke uh, the little glass beaker that you know we'll make. Yeah, that will that will make coffee in. And uh, we went to Blue Bottle to replace it. And when we were there, um, Blue Bottle has for at least the last two years, like they've had the very standard scale that they sell, and they've had the very uh, standard like Bonita or Bovita kettle that they sell. Very nice, you know, very good scales. Well, they have new scales in new kettles now. And they are gorgeous. Like, I mean, like talking about them, I'm getting a little excited because I'm like, damn, they are so beautiful. The scale is beautiful. The the kettle is beautiful. It has, um, you can control the temperature. You can with the the one that they used to sell. You could still control the temperature, but this one's got like a, it's black, it's sleek. Is that duct tape on it? No duct tape. Black, <laughs> sleek. You can, you got this like digital knob that you can control the, the temperature with. I mean, it is just like, it's beautiful. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, Oh, I didn't even realize I needed a new kettle and a new scale right now. Mm-hmm. But I just stopped myself and I'm like, wait a minute, man. Like, what am I going to do with that old stuff? I mean, yeah, I could go donate it, but I'm literally like just using this aesthetics as a reason to buy new things. Now, I will be honest with you. I'm looking forward to when my kettle breaks <laughs> and when my scale breaks so I can go out and replace them with these things. You're like tossing it around, uh-huh. being extra like hard <laughs> right. with it. Oops, I didn't mean to drop this in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny, Ryan, that, that you, you bring that up because that we're talking about form dictating function and that's the problem we were talking about earlier i think it was with rachel's question um with the the handle like yeah you probably want to get that handle fixed with the duct tape or whatever but just because you stop just because you think you'll like some new suitcase better is not the is not the idea ideal reason to replace the one that works perfectly fine for you right now that you've been enjoying till right now until some marketer said no, you need this one. You need one. this one, yeah. Yeah, and it'll make you complete. I almost feel like I do need it. I mean, they did a really good job. But Adam, see, here's the thing too about setting up boundaries is that Adam, you could set all these boundaries up for yourself. You're going to buy less stuff. You're, you're going to spend less money. You're going to be able to save more. But the problem is, is when we set these boundaries up, when we when we take away these bad habits, if we don't replace them with something good, yeah. then you just, you just end up replacing them with more bad habits. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. What do you, I think, go ahead. Yeah. So one of the things that I've kind of helped specifically with this issue, because I do, I never buy things in person anymore. I buy online and it's just so easy to do all right. the time. And something that I've done to kind of add more joy to the process for me is a lot of planning. So instead of hitting buy, I add things to a mood board. I have a Pinterest board. I put together a color palette every season. I'm like, okay, I dress pretty neutrally, but then I pull in a couple colors that I really like. I think about the fabrics. I make it a really enjoyable process. So I still get, I think, I think shopping for some people what, and we're kind of talking about what sits under that. Sometimes it's loneliness. Sometimes it's this need to fill our 
ourselves with more things, but I also think there's creativity involved. That creativity that you get from finding something aesthetically that you really resonate with. Mm. So finding a way to like add that to a mood board sometimes feels just as exciting for me as like hitting buy, you know? Interesting, yeah. And then and then after a certain amount of time I might actually purchase that that yeah. item, but I've done the work to find out what I really love and I have spent that creative time. Yeah. You like me, you're, you're certainly a planner, it sounds like, and <laughs> you, you enjoy planning. In fact, yeah. you get more satisfaction um, from the end result because you, you felt like you planned it out exactly. accordingly. And we, we often talk about you know, a minimalist life is really just an intentional life. Um, and we're intentional with the resources that, that we have, but also intentional about the, the things that we surround ourselves with. And that planning allows you to feel good about the decisions yeah. you ultimately end up making as opposed to the impulse purchase. I mean, it used to be at the grocery store. It was like, well, there's a checkout line. And they have all these impulse buys right here. The magazines, the candy, the, yep. the, the soda. And you're like, oh, I'll just grab that real quick. But now online, it facilitates that in different ways. You go to Amazon, and it's like, well, customers who bought this also bought this you're like i might as well do it okay sure right but if you're planning the way you're talking about the mood board and you're like would i really put this pack of you know the soda on a mood board no of course not it doesn't, <laughs> and when you start thinking about it that way you start asking questions you're like what am i doing it helps you break the cycle in a way yeah. that we otherwise wouldn't because it's impulse 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 i'm just gonna buy this thing yeah. Here's some, uh, Ryan, you talked about habits and, and uh, replacing the bad habits with good habits. Yeah. This article goes on and says, check your personal habits. Yeah. Healthy work from home habits are almost exactly the same as any healthy habits. Take care of yourself like you would a small child, a puppy, or a plant. If you're struggling with depression, here are a few tips to help you nurture yourself on difficult days. First one is get dressed. Unless you genuinely feel your best in pajamas, <laughs> get dressed in a new clean outfit each morning. Do your hair and makeup if you want. Just show up for yourself like you would for anyone else. Yeah. Mm. We had Matt Nathanson on the podcast recently, a musician. And one of his lyrics is, uh, uh, I would kill anyone who treats you as bad as I do. Mm. And, and But maybe like something we need to say to ourselves, like, yeah. I need to stop treating myself as bad poorly yeah. as I would I would never treat someone exactly. else as poorly exactly well. I think sometimes for me I have two sisters and I would do anything for them I'm their biggest advocate and and something that's been so helpful for me is like how would I treat my sister like and then treat myself that way you know when I'm when I'm facing a particular challenge um and I think Emily really gets to the heart of that emotional quality in in this article I read I cried the first time I read it because I had a couple years working at home as I was starting to build the good trade and that profound loneliness mm. and also just the devaluing of like I am actually worth getting dressed in the morning. I am actually worth looking my best, feeling my best if it's just for me. Mm. And I think that those are the kinds of habits that create wellness that create a, a really rich meaningful life. Yeah, I, yeah. When we, we, we travel, I see people at the airport wearing the pajamas and I, I'm i projecting my own insecurities onto this for <laughs> sure. But like, I know I don't feel my best sure. when, when that's gone. And it's re I actually don't own any pajamas because um, I, I I only own... Dude, come on. You should get some silk pajamas, but you need to have like the cap that goes with it. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's supreme. Oh man, <laughs> God! Um, but I, I I think about um, back in 
when you see like photos of people in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, there's a whole lot of things that weren't ideal about that. Like smoking on airplanes seems like <laughs> such an awful. But how could you have a smoking and non-smoking section when you're in the same and metal tube? Face. Yeah, Dude, yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, that the smoking section is right over there. Um, <laughs> or, or I remember we, uh, we did not have the education back then that we have now when it comes to smoking and secondhand smoke. Yeah, four that's, out of five doctors prefer camels. That's what I blame it on. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so, speaking of advertising, like yeah, they got doctors. To be like, yes, when I get off work, I like to light up a cigarette and relax. <laughs> <laughs> the, the worst is when I, I'm walking by a hospital. I don't live too far from Cedar Sinai, and I will see like a line of nurses smoking <laughs> in front, and I'm like, oh no, like yeah. they have to know, right? But I think it's a, it's the same thing. That's that's a type of not showing up for yourself. Uh, the way overeating is, we all struggle with. We all have our own sort of struggles and um it, one of the ways to overcome that is showing up for yourself the way you would show up for other people yeah. and i think that's what she's getting at here uh the next one is go for a walk this one helps me out a lot yeah i i tend to put a little more effort into getting ready if i know that the rest of the world will see me so yeah. after you get after you get ready go for a walk around the block this It'll, also works for adam too like if he has an impulse to buy something he could stop and like have the rule where it's like I'm gonna go for a walk uh-huh. and really, really yeah. like you know maul this decision over or say hello to someone or have a quick conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah re- replacing that need to consume with the need to connect. Connect. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, what's the next one? Take regular breaks. Set an alarm every hour for a stretch break. I, I tend to do this. I, I have a, a watch that I only put on while I'm doing work. And every 22 minutes, I'll just get up and do some squats and, and some nice. stretches. Yeah. And so, like, it it helps me re- reset. But also, anytime that I'm I'm feeling like, ugh. It's because I'm probably sedentary, and and yeah. I can I can change my state pretty quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And so take regular b- breaks to do something like that. Uh, next one is reach out, say hello to a friend or a family member once a day. Yeah. That's something that I, I don't do very well. Um, but because I don't do it very well, I make a concerted effort to be better at yeah, it. Uh, I I don't reach out to a lot of friends or, or family, but when i when i do i'm like oh i'm glad i did that i'm glad yeah. i connected with my brother or yeah. or with a friend and and just sent them a text and said hey just thinking about you how you doing what are you up to lately yeah. and quite often what I'll, that'll do is that will turn into a phone conversation or it'll turn into a face-to-face meeting next time we're in town uh the same town with each other and so reaching out to, to people it's that it's that weak tie that weak connection we talked about yeah. that, that makes it stronger over time so yeah. connecting with people is yeah. important get social Plan regular social events with friends in your city. This is something Ryan does really well that I don't do well. <clears throat> well, so like being social is uh, it's a good distraction. I feel like. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's like, especially. I'm just trying to link this back to Adam's question. It's like if you were out socializing more, mm-hmm. like you're going to be less apt to like be, be bored and Hit sit things a- in your shopping cart. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We'll put a link to this article. There's a whole section in here as well about creating a healthy workspace. But we have one more question today. This one's from Abhijit from Twitter. Abhijit says, how can small everyday changes in our lives help us toward move toward sustainability? So I think that's the only way to really move because the radical changes rarely stick. I mean, you might turn around dime and say, all right, I'm going full 180. I'm full consumer today and tomorrow I'm 
I'm a uh, full zero waste, but yeah. you try that for a day or two. It's like crash diets. Yeah. Yeah. They hardly work, right? And so when we're talking about sustainability, that's really what we're talking about, are these yeah. small changes, yeah. right? Absolutely. And I think we underestimate the wildfire nature of it. You know, when mm. you make a small change, then your partner might. And your children, the people that you're teaching how to live and interact in the world, your community. And that multiplied, the, the idea of these small changes multiplied, creates massive changes in our ecosystem, in our society. So being able to enact those small changes that you can in a more excellent permanent way is yeah. much more effective than reaching for something that's just you know so far out of your wheelhouse yeah, that's so true man when mariah and i we were in tokyo like everything is so immac immaculate yeah. like everything is so clean <laughs> it's like it's like five new york cities but like just scrubbed clean 39 million people it's unbelievable but like because you're in that environment it's like when i'm walking down the street and there's a piece of trash on the ground like it actually motivates me mm to like pick up the trash. Yeah. I don't know who threw it down, it doesn't matter, but I'm like, oh, like this city's so beautiful, yeah. like I wanna help keep it that way. So yeah, totally, yeah, it totally rubs off and can create, uh, yeah, that wildfire effect. You, you know about the, the broken window theory? So, so uh, in 90s New York City, like they were working on, on fixing it up and making neighborhoods nicer. Uh, and then Pete Buttigieg did this in South Bend over the last decade where we realize like if there's a window that's broken or a piece of trash that's on the ground we can do one of two things we can either fix that yeah. or it's going to lead to more broken windows yeah. right. and what what we realize through you know urban planning and and, and urbanists who, who have studied this they realize like oh if we fix the one window all of a sudden other buildings nearby start fixing what they have going on. Mm. The areas that we don't fix, though, they start to get graffiti. Um, in fact, uh, Buddha Judge had this thing in in South Bend. They had a twenty four hour graffiti removal. So any they had a hotline. Aww. You call and and if there's graffiti, they any time of day will go and they have someone to go remove that graffiti wow. because that graffiti leads to more graffiti mm. and there's a quick downward spiral to sure. but. But you also realize that if you're a graffiti artist and you know that it's going to get taken down within 24 hours, it's man, like demotivating. right? Yeah. I'm going to go to the next town over. Yeah, Banksy probably isn't going to go to South Bend to uh, yeah, right. <laughs> to put Sadly. up his art. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, the down uh, the, the downside is most graffiti artists aren't Banksy, right? They're they're actually. <laughs> Um, by, by the way, here's the thing: like most landlords would love for you to, to put a Banksy on their right. building, right? right? The value of their property, right? Yeah. But uh, they they also like they don't want a random graffiti artist to come by and <laughs> and vandalize because that's what most graffiti is. And so I think the same can be true just with with our everyday lives. We have our own sort of broken windows, whether it's the pajamas in the morning or it is, uh, th I mean, that's an incremental change. We're talking about cha putting on regular pants instead of pajamas. That's an incremental change. But as you said, it starts to spread like wildfire. You realize like, oh, I'm making some of these changes and it doesn't just spread in my own life. Yeah. Other people start to notice. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason this whole minimalism thing worked for me and Ryan is because he came to me one day and he said, why the hell are you so happy? Mm. He saw the sort of the, the, the fire blazing and he was like, oh, hey, tell me more about this exactly. thing. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, I think it raises the collective consciousness. And the example of Japan is so wonderful because that's how culture actually is changed. And once culture is changed, you can change policy, you can change, you know, everything kind of stems from that. And then really big radical changes on a systemic level can happen. But it starts at the individual level. How am I acting in my own life, in my own family, in my own community? And um, us all taking responsibility for that. As opposed to the opposite, waiting for someone else to take responsibility exactly. for Exactly, waiting for, you know, economic or political structures to fix our issues when we're we're part of the problem and the solution. Yeah. Yes, if indeed. we just sit around waiting, that's eventually what we'll just be doing our whole lives, just yeah. sitting around and waiting. Amy Ann, I want to thank you for being here today. Yeah. I want to thank, thank you for uh, creating something meaningful with thegoodtrade.com. I'll encourage folks to go there. Is so anywhere else we should point folks who are listening to this? Cool. We're at The Good Trade on all our social channels. Cool. And we have a daily newsletter called The Daily Good, which you can find on our website. And we um, send recommendations for sustainable living every morning. Awesome. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, yeah thank you thank so you much. Thank you, guys. Awesome right. having you. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. See ya. Thanks for the support. The minimalists. <laughs>